You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic with Dr. Heidi, a toxic relationship specialist. Here, we bring hope, healing, and freedom to those who have been affected by toxic relationships and emotional abuse. Learn to not only recognize a red flag when you see one, but have the courage to choose yourself and move forward in a life that's free from toxic control of others. Living in an environment that's not healthy for you can cause this type of abuse to be accepted as normal. The truth is, it's not normal. It's toxic. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Rid your life of toxic people. This is the episode that many of you have been waiting for. I asked in the Strength Within support group um, for questions. I don't have a lot of personal contact with a lot of you listeners, so um, I was wondering what people are searching for. So a couple weeks ago, I took a list of questions out of the support group, and I'm going to do my best to answer them. Now, Some of these questions could have an entire podcast episode dedicated to them. So if I think that is a question that could use a little more time than me just answering them in in this one with several questions, I will keep a note of that and try to expand on anything that I think um, is a little bit too big to answer in this episode. I don't know how long this episode is going to be because I have quite the list. So you also know you might hear paper shuffling. Um, the last episode, my Kleenex box fell off the the desk. I just I just do what I do behind my iPad so I can help you people. I don't do any of this on a professional level. So you guys would laugh at me if you saw me recording these podcasts. But anyway, and actually right now there's a couple of dogs in here with me. And so I apologize if there's any disruptions. Even though everybody seems to have different questions, in my history and in my work in this um, realm, most toxic people operate very similarly, which is why I influence, influence the education. Because it's a certain personality that toxic people are attracted to, okay? They need to know that you're kind, caring, loving, good, giving, and are a people person in order for them to be able to take advantage of you and get their supply that they need of control, power, attention, and admiration. So when I'm in the support group, it is it is almost at 1,600 people. It's getting big. It's very hard for me to read all of the posts. Um, so I appreciate you guys giving me leeway in there. Everybody in that group is at a different stage in the toxic relationship discovery journey. And so this is a plethora of different questions coming from people at different levels. Um, regardless of what level you're in, some of the answers to these questions may, may be able to explain something that you questioned in the past or something similar that you couldn't find the answer to. So I'm just going to do my best to briefly answer some of these questions for people. And um, hopefully this will be something that will be beneficial to you if you have questions on the questions. Uh, you guys all know how to get a hold of me. First question is, why would talk? Why would a toxic person reach back out mentioning how sad that it ended after they were the one that ended it? 
and then immediately goes silent again. Okay, remember, toxic people need to see an emotional reaction to remind themselves they're in control. So all they need is contact with a reaction. There are four things that they need to feel secure are control, power, attention, and admiration. And they don't care how many people they receive these four things from because the more the better in their eyes. So when something has ended, even if they're the ones that end it, and then they reach out mentioning how sad they are, they're looking for a reaction because now they're sad. So they want an emotional reaction from you to reassure that even though they ended it, they can still control your emotions. So toxic people always want contact because they're so good at manipulating our emotions. If they can just get contact with you, they can usually figure out how to make you happy, make you sad, make you feel guilty, make you cry. Those are all emotions that they need to see to remind themselves they're in control. So when they reach out, they just want contact. They want contact to try and push something on you that will elicit an emotional reaction so that they know they're in control or they know your attention's back on them. And for this uh, person that asked this question, the minute they reached out, where did your attention go? Directly back to them, right? So they don't even have to be in the same vicinity to know that your attention is on them. Next question, how do you deal with not giving them the reaction when they are screaming in your face or provoking you? Usually I freeze, but lately I wanna fight. Even though I know deep down, I should not be giving the reaction. I know I'm feeding the monster. This is something I have to talk to my clients about all the time. The more you know, the more you know. So the broader your education becomes on the toxic traits and why they're doing them, what they're seeking when they do these different things, the broader your education is on that and the more knowledge you have, the harder it is for them to control you. On top of that, the more knowledge you have about why they're doing what they're doing, the harder you are to control and the less you're gonna put up with because the more you know, the stronger you get. Understanding is empowerment. Empowerment leads to freedom. So because you're starting to understand this more and more and you know what they're seeking, you know you shouldn't give them a reaction, but because your knowledge base has grown so much, it makes us wanna fight back because we feel empowered. So even though it doesn't do you any good to fight back, you're fighting back because your knowledge base is bigger and you're getting stronger. What I recommend in this, depending on your situation, when you fight back, they will turn up the volume because they don't enter into fights or, or conversations without the intention of winning. So when you fight back, that's an emotional reaction. That's exactly what they want. They've made you mad. So I would really try, even though your knowledge base is growing and you're becoming more aware and understanding, don't tell them your plan. Try to remain acting as much as you can the way you always have. And this is very hard, believe me, because once you know something, you know something. The other thing with this is toxic traits are contagious. They train you to fight because when you fight, that's a reaction. 
I was trained to fight and it took me about four years to untrain myself from being a fighter. And I was never a fighter to begin with. So because you're trained to fight, they know if they can push you, push you, push you to your limits, you'll fight back and then you're the crazy one for overreacting. So when it comes down to it, you're probably wanting to fight for two reasons. Either you've been trained to fight and it's your typical reaction or your knowledge base is growing and they no longer can pull the wool over your eyes. I recommend trying to remain non-reactive, get your plan together, don't tell them your plan, and figure out how to distance yourself from them. Next question, is it normal to be in a depressed state after you leave your toxic relationship and how long does it last? I think the best thing I could do for this answer to this question is if you have not listened to the trauma bonding episode, I would do that. We have been trained to have our attention and our focus on them all the time. So when you remove yourself, it's very awkward for you to put your attention on anything but them so we feel like we miss them and we feel like we're missing out and we feel very uncomfortable because we don't know which direction to focus our attention. So the trauma bonding episode, which is a few weeks back, is an excellent episode to describe some of the feelings that you go through after you've made the move to remove them or go no contact or um, distance yourself from them. Three things that you would tell someone starting their journey on learning about dealing with a narcissist. She says the top three things to know. Um, Dr. Heidi doesn't stop at top three things. Dr. Heidi could talk till Tuesday. I always say that. Um, so I just picked out three of the things that came to my mind first. Everything they do is intentional for something that they need at that moment. So don't let them fool you. If it walks like a duck, they're after something. Okay, that's number one. Learn why they do it, not what they do. Because as soon as you understand why they're doing it, it becomes very clear to you what their motives are. And then you, then you can control the situation as opposed to them controlling the situation. And the third thing would be start taking all of the time and energy and the attention that you put into them and start putting it into yourself. Toxic people train us to not focus on ourselves, not focus on our future, not focus on our wants. We have to focus on them 100% of the time to avoid fights, to make sure that we're accepted, to do what they want, to act like they want, to dress like they want, to support them in what they need. So take all of that time and energy and start thinking about what you want your life to look like, what you want your future to look like. What do you want more of in your life? What do you want less of in your life? What were your dreams and goals that you had before you met them? Start getting your focus back on you because that's where the recovery is going to start. It's very uncomfortable and we oftentimes feel selfish when we focus on ourselves because that's what we've been taught. But that's one of the biggest steps that I see clients transitioning hugely over is when they can start putting focus on their life. Uh, let's see, how to validate yourself, trust that it was toxic abuse that you went through and knowing they knowing it won't come from them. Okay, so she's asking, how do I validate that it was toxic abuse knowing that they're never going to admit it? Um, one of the character traits that I teach is uh, they do not take the blame. They will always find somebody who is at fault and it won't be them. So 
If you need validation, start your education because you will be wasting your breath if you try to tell them how they hurt you or ask them to change their behavior because they will not take responsibility for it. From their eyes, the way they see it is they're the way they're acting the way they are because of something that you have provoked. You've pushed their buttons so they're mad or they wouldn't be the way they are if you weren't the way you are. There's always going to be somebody else to blame in a toxic person's life, so don't let it be you. So as far as validating, educate yourself. Talk to the people who've been through it. Get some books. Listen to podcasts. And there's lots of good podcasts out there. Um, I do as many different resources as I can for people to get my information. My program is online. You can do it in a self-study format. I have group coaching. I have individual coaching. I have the conferences. I have the podcast. There's the support group online. So there's many different ways that just I personally provide information. But there's therapists out there. There's counselors out there. There's a lot of other survivors that have podcasts and, and do some of the same type of work. So whoever you click with, just start learning. Hook up with people that have been through it. Because if you're looking for validation and you're talking to people who've never been through it, they don't understand it. They don't understand the trauma bonding. They don't understand the draw back towards these people. They don't understand the constant you bending over backwards just to get hurt again. So, so, and that's why the support group works well. There's everybody in that support group. You don't have to explain anything to them. They've already been there. They already know. <clears throat> Living in a small community and having to see toxic, see the toxic person in mutual friend groups. It's very hard for people to accept the answer that I give for this type of question. Um, I personally would drop out of those friend groups for a while. Okay, um, there's no reason to stay in contact with the toxic person because of the friends. And it's very difficult because if it's in a small town and it's been part of your life, it's difficult to do. But when you cut ties with a toxic person, the goal is to get them out of your life. And by still hanging out with them and seeing them and having to interact and pretend everything's okay um, is very, very difficult and it will trigger you. When you remove a toxic person, like I said, the goal is to get them out of your life. As long as you're still running in the same crowds, staying in contact, you know, and, and seeing them, it keeps you in the toxic cesspool. And then your attention goes back to them. And what are they thinking? And what are they telling other people? And what are they going to do next? So I personally would recommend getting out of those friend groups because it will really, really show you who is your true friend and who is not. And honestly, there is good people out there. I have the best friends I've ever had. And you don't have to have a thousand friends. You can have a thousand acquaintances and have two best friends that get it and understand it. And that's really all you need. So I know small towns are difficult with that. I stepped out of something that was a big part of, of my life um, that my kids were involved in. I stepped out of that for two years and did not participate in it at all. And it was heartbreaking for me, but it was one of the best things I ever did because it completely, I was completely able to remove myself from people talking about it, people asking about it, people bringing them up. And so for my healing process, it was a very good step. Um, how long did it take or does it take to feel emotions again? 
How long does the numb last? Okay, the numbness that we talk about will last until you force yourself to feel again. I think a misconception, and this is a little bit of my healthcare background, a misconception is, is that, that we make ourselves numb. In reality, we don't make ourselves numb. The human body is adaptable. The human body protects itself. So if you're, if you're experiencing pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, the human body is going to adapt so the pain doesn't hurt as bad. So the numbness comes from your body desensitizing you to certain emotions. Nothing really makes you happy. Nothing really makes you sad because you can't really stay happy very long before you're sad and you can't really stay sad very long before they you know, criticize you for being sad. So you just stay in the middle because in the middle, you're safe. So you have to understand where that numbing comes from. It's kind of goes along with um, uh, some of this type of behavior becomes normal to you. I've used this before when you walk into a room that stinks. If you stay in the room, the smell goes away. The smell goes away because your body desensitizes to that smell and you don't smell it anymore. So it's the desensitizing process that your body does to protect itself that makes us feel like we're numb. And one of the first things I do, and it sounds silly, when people are, are learning to feel again, the worst part about feeling again is it's uncomfortable. It's scary. Nobody wants to get back in touch with their feelings. So how I start my clients on feeling is start with tactile, start with the senses, start with touching and smelling and seeing and listening. When you get your first cup of coffee in the morning, feel the warmth through the cup. Really think about the, the taste of the first sip. When you're in the shower, feel the water. You know, when you're, when you're on the couch, feel the blanket. Listen to things and really be present to what your senses are sensing. Because that's going to be a good start for you to start feeling without having so much emotion that it scares you to death and you back off. Um, this happens a lot when people start dating. They might start liking somebody, but oh, then those feelings sneak in and feelings are vulnerable because feelings in your past have been painful. So, oh, we're not going to do that because I don't, I don't want to set myself up to get hurt. So we're just going to stay numb. So if you can start with some of the tactile stuff and really being present, you'll start developing that it's not so uncomfortable to feel. And I get this, I get a lot of messages about this because, because you've been numb or you've been desensitized to feeling, stepping back out into feeling is very dangerous. So when you say, how long does it last? It lasts as long as you force yourself to start feeling again. And it's just like anything you start new. Anything you start new is uncomfortable until you get used to it. So even though it's a big step and even though it's fearful, a little forcing some feeling is a good thing. Because we don't want to be numb. We're emotional people. We want the intimacy. We want to laugh. We want to be sad when we want to be sad. We want to be happy when we want to be happy. We don't want this status quo, unemotional type life. So we have to start, and just like everything else when we're recovering from toxic relationships, we have to do the work. And unnumbing yourself is part of the process. How do you effectively navigate co-parenting when your toxic person's actions and behaviors are pushed by his even more toxic wife? Okay, 
this question could be worded a thousand different ways. And basically, how in the heck do you co-parent with somebody you want out of your life? Um, this is worth an entire podcast session. We have one on that. Um, there was a lady that did um, an episode a long while back, maybe a year ago, maybe even more than a year ago, on her struggles with co-parenting with her her toxic former. She is going to reappear on the podcast because the lady that you heard on that podcast is nothing like the lady she is now. Um, she has figured out how to navigate and only discuss the kids and not let what her former does and what her former says affect her anymore. And that's that's one of the biggest things. You cannot control what they do or what they say. All you can control is how you react to it. A toxic person who is an ex wants to ruin your life. They want to make things difficult for you. They're going to keep any strings attached that they can. And when it's down to co-parenting, the kids are the only thing that's left. So in reality, you decide what's worth fighting for. They do it for control. So roll with the punches more or less is what I'm telling you. Don't get stuck on the 25th of December is Christmas Day and we're going to fight over it until the kids are 18. If the toxic person wants Christmas Day, fine. It's a day. It's a day on the calendar. You can celebrate Christmas the next time you have them. Because by doing it that way, they're hogging the Christmas Day for control. If you don't fight back, they're not affecting you at all, which then they'll probably fight for New Year's also. But decide what's worth fighting for because this goes back to the goal is to get them out of your life except for the areas that you have to have them in your life. And if you're co-parenting with them, the area that you have to have them in your life is the kids. But that doesn't mean you have to have day-to-day -day communication with them. Um, I help a lot of people on the co-parenting aspect. Um, you feel like you have to be in constant contact with, with the former and, and keep them informed on the kids. To a certain extent, yes. But to the, to the amount that it affects your life and your health, absolutely not. So if you're looking for some help on co-parenting, I do quite a bit with that. But each, each situation is a little bit different. So what I recommend for one won't necessarily work for another one. Um, you might feel like you're quote losing, but if you can get through a holiday or if you can get through some of this difficult stuff without being upset and without having a pain in your stomach, the peace is so much worth the not winning part. And you'll have a much better visit with your kids if you have learned to control how your former, how you react to your former. Co-parenting is not easy and it, it's not easy in a healthy situation and it's absolutely not easy in a situation that is unhealthy. How is it that a single toxic person can manipulate a large group? Many who have had run-ins with them, um, I would think that the strength in numbers would have affected the group collectively saying, no, this is not acceptable behavior rather than giving in rather than giving this person high praise. Okay, so how is it that a big group of people don't see the effects of the toxic person the same way somebody who's close to them is? I think that's kind of the question. If you are not intimately tied and intimately invested with a toxic person, it's a lot easier for you to blow them off. 
Even if you've had a run-in or two, people have run-ins all the time with people. People have altercations and it doesn't mean one of them is toxic. Just people disagree sometimes, right? So unless, unless they are being personally affected by the toxic person, most people are going to let things roll off their back. They've already taken the stance that this person is who they are and I'm not going to let them affect me. So if they want to get their way and, you know, push the group around a little bit, fine. People don't want conflict and people that don't have to go home and live with this person don't really care. They don't have to sustain a really personal, intimate relationship with a toxic person like you do. So the a group, there's people in the group that might think the toxic person is not a very good person, but because they don't allow what the toxic person does to affect them, it's much easier for them to just put up with it and then step out. Whereas we who have to go home with them or we who have to work with them or we who have to live with them aren't able to just step out. So what we see from our perspective is they think he's the greatest guy and or they think that she's the nicest lady and then what I get is completely opposite. But it's just it's just because they're not involved on on as deep of level as you, so it's much easier for them to disengage from what they're doing and what they're saying. They can listen to anything and go home and blow them off. I hope that answered your question. How do you do no, no contact with a toxic father who knows need who knows needs your help, but many times you talk with him and you just get more frustrated. Um, I'm trying to put myself in perspective of this lady's question because I know a lot about this lady's story. Um, this, this basically goes down to, you only have to talk to him about the kids. If the conversation goes any other direction, he's trying to control you or she's trying to control you, or she's trying to get the upper hand. So you have to stick to the topics that you need to talk to them about. And a toxic person always needs your help. Remember, they want control, power, attention, and admiration. They have to have somebody to blame all the time. They sometimes become very lazy because they have so many people doing all of their stuff because they can control people. If they've got people doing all of their stuff, they're controlling them. So a toxic person is, is going to always act like they need you. So unless you're in a situation where all communication is cut off except through the toxic person, there's probably ways around to communicate with these people. You don't have to help a toxic person because on the flip side, a toxic person is not going to bend over backwards to help you. And again, I'm speaking in generalities of toxic people. Not every toxic person is the same. Um, you get more frustrated when you talk to them because, because they immediately elicit an emotional reaction. So when the conversation goes from what the topic should be to what the topic shouldn't be, emotions get involved. And as soon as emotions get involved, they know they can, that they're still in control and that makes you frustrated. So when you're communicating with the toxic person about whatever topic it is, keep the emotion out. And this sounds awful, but don't call them by their name. Don't say thank you. Don't say you're welcome. You stick to the facts in a conversation about what the conversation needs to be about. And if it veers somewhere else, tell them you have to rake your rocks. Tell them your phone rang. Tell them you have to use the restroom. They don't know what you're doing. Just get off the phone. Get out of the conversation. As soon as you feel like you're getting emotional, that's exactly what they want. So that's, 
That's your cue to back out. There was a question on, oh, how do you explain why your relationship or marriage ended to others? They won't understand, but what is a good way to sum it up in a way that is validating and powerful without having to give too much detail? Okay, there's a couple things that I want to talk about with this question. Toxic people train you to explain yourself and defend yourself. They say untruths or, you know, they attack your values that makes you feel like you have to defend yourself. So you're already trained to over explain things, right? We over explain things to the toxic person to keep ourselves out of trouble. We over explain things to other people so that they, tr they can understand our situation. So this is kind of the same thing. When people ask you what happened with your relationship, your immediate response is to over explain for two reasons. You have been trained to overexplain, but we also want to make sure that people know our side of the story because the toxic person is going to make sure they know their side of the story. And then we get concerned about what they're saying to other people and what other people are going to think. And is it going to be our fault? And what should I say? And, and we fall into this overexplaining trap just to try to validate our decision in taking the toxic person out. So don't make it that complicated. You don't know you don't need to explain anything to anybody. Especially if it's a a marriage. That's nobody's business. So so what I would recommend if if you've just, you know, separated and people are asking you why it's separated, memorize this line. It just wasn't what was best for me. Period. That's it. It just wasn't what was best for me and then you exit. It's none of their business anyway. If you start explaining, you fall into the trap that the toxic person wants you to fall into because they love this back and forth smear. They, they throw out smear campaigns and they talk badly about you, hoping you'll jump in and defend yourself. If you don't defend yourself and you don't explain, you're not giving them what they want. And the other thing I always tell my clients, when somebody gets divorced or somebody breaks up or somebody cuts a parent off, it's big talk for a minute right? Everybody's out for a little gossip. So yeah, you'll be the talk of the town for a minute and people will ask you and they'll check on you and they'll want to know, but really it's none of their business anyway. So if you can just grit your teeth and not explain and not defend through the three weeks of the time that you're the talk of the town, three weeks later, somebody else is going to be getting divorced and then they're going to be on to the next couple. So you don't owe anybody an explanation. So to put it tactfully and to put it powerfully and to put it reinforcing that you did this for you, even to yourself, it just wasn't what was best for me. Addictions and toxic people. How do you deal with it when we have one of, one of two? I do have to tell you, I am super grateful in the fact that... Um, I think the addictions that are probably being talked about here are maybe drug and alcohol. I don't know that much about this um, particular person's story, but that's, that's just what I'm guessing. So when you have somebody that is addicted and they're toxic, I think a lot of times the misconception is the addiction is making them toxic. Well, more and more, and the more people that I get involved with in the different situations, what I'm finding is you have a toxic person with an addiction. 
you don't have an addiction that brings out a toxic person. Toxic people are very prone to having addictions. Um, alcohol, drugs, porn, sex, attention, those are all addictions and all of those supply what they're looking for at that time. So be very careful in feeling bad for somebody who has an addiction. And, and be very careful when you're dealing with somebody who has toxic traits that blames it on their addiction. Because chances are they're toxic with or without the addiction, but they use the addiction as an excuse and you use the addiction because you feel sorry for them. If you leave them, nobody's gonna help them, okay? That's true to a point and nobody wants to just leave somebody floundering who is struggling. But at the end of the day, if they're an adult, they're responsible for their own behavior. So whether it's a toxic personality that has an addiction or it's an addiction that's bringing out a toxic personality, either way, it's an unhealthy situation for you. I am so angry for what my teenage children and I have been put through. The toxic person is still their parent. How am I supposed to ever be free of his toxicity and heal if I cannot completely have no contact? Okay, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. You cannot control them. You cannot control what they do and you cannot control what they say. So the only thing you can do is to be the better parent, not their friend. Kids want a parent even though they act like they don't. They want stability. They want to know that there's unconditional love and that there's nothing that they can do that will make you stop loving them. That is your job as a parent. Dealing with toxic toxicity and children is devastating because the toxic person does not care who they're controlling. And when, when you step out of their life, they will move straight to the kids and use the kids to control the children as well as you. And it breaks your heart because you've already seen what the kids are put through and you thought that leaving or cutting them off was going to be the answer and now it's got worse for the kids. The kids also at some point will get to pick the relationship that they have with the toxic person. So you don't always want to protect them either as they get older. They're going to swing back and forth between the parents because, because that's just how they do. Even children of healthy, amicable divorces do this. They learn how to play the parents against each other. If one doesn't get it for them, the other one will. And toxic people and teenage personalities resemble each other a little bit in that fact that teenagers become very self-centered as they go through their teenage years. They're worried about themselves only. And we call them the terrible teens, right? So, so you have to realize that the, the teenagers are going to be out to get what they want also. So if you can remain heartbroken or not, the stable parent that loves them unconditionally, they're always going to come back to you. Is it easy to raise kids with a toxic person? Absolutely not. It's one of the hardest things I watch my clients go through. But you have to accept the fact that you can't control him. You can't control what he says. You can't control what he does. You can't control how he treats the kids. All you can do is make a stable place for the kids when they're with you. And, and regardless of them swinging back and forth during their, their years of trying to find their identity, they'll always return back to you.
Uh, let's see. How do I respond to my child who is five, who says things that I know he's been putting in her head? Example, she expresses, she expresses to me how much her dad does not like her stepdad. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a really good example. Um, don't fall into the trap of explaining yourself. And this, this goes back to a question I answered earlier. They want you to explain yourself. They want you to defend yourself. They want to, they want to pit people against you, including your kids. So when they do stuff like that, your reply to something like that would be, well, I'm, I'm really sorry he feels that way because I really like him. You have to make it so your child sees that it doesn't affect you what the toxic person says. And I'm sorry you feel that way works very well. Now, I know that the I'm sorry you feel that way phrase triggers some people because some toxic people use it to um, devalue your opinion. But in a situation like this, because we want to show no emotion and you don't want your children to see that he can affect you negatively, use, use sentences like that. You know, I'm sorry he feels that way, but that's not what's best for me. Because that's going to show your kids that it doesn't, it doesn't upset you and that you're rational. Now, is it going to upset you on the inside? Yes. But you also have to realize you can't control it. The only thing you control is the way you respond to it. And especially when you're trying to be an example. Because the last thing you want is to then go back and forth and say something awful about the other parent. I, excuse me. I can't make decisions. After so many years of not being given a choice or a say, how do, how do you get yourself to be decisive? I can actually see that I can't make decisions. And it's just me now. I don't even have a toxic person in my life. Okay, I just did an episode on toxic identity theft. Toxic people steal your identity so that, so that you don't know who you are enough to make decisions. And they are also very good at overriding your decisions or criticizing your decisions. So if you've been in a long-standing toxic relationship, you're just going to give up your decision-making so that there's not a fight or so that you don't get criticized. So in this particular case, I know that this relationship of the lady who, who sent this question in was a very long relationship. So it's no wonder that she's having trouble making decisions. She's asking, how do I start making decisions? This is ridiculous but this is how I got started and this is how I have clients get started when they feel like they're having trouble making decisions um, when you leave there's big decisions to make so if you can't even make little decisions it's very overwhelming to have to make big decisions and what we tend to do is we're so scared we're going to make the wrong decision that we don't make a de decision at all so instead of getting overwhelmed with the big decisions you start with making little decisions Go to the grocery store and if you always buy Jif, make yourself buy Peter Pan peanut butter. Okay, you might get it home and you might not like it as well as Jif. But you know what? Who cares? Pitch it in the garbage and go back to the store and buy Jif. Okay, you made a decision and it didn't affect you either way. You just didn't like it. And when you start making little decisions like that, you'll realize there's really no wrong decision. All you have to do is if you make the wrong one or you don't like it, you change it and you make another one. And I say this all the time. 
I don't think a firing squad is going to show up if you pitch the peanut butter, the Peter Pan peanut butter in the garbage. It's just, you didn't like it. So you change directions, but you start with the little things so that you get comfortable in knowing that decision-making isn't that hard. And if there's a big decision, give yourself a deadline. I don't, I don't know what I'm deciding yet, but by Wednesday morning, I'm making a decision. And if it's the wrong one, we'll deal with it. Because you can always turn around and make another one. There's no such things as mistakes. There's things as bad, such things as bad choices, but we learn from them. And so that we don't make them again. So if, if, you, if you don't like Peter Pan peanut butter, you don't buy it again and you learn something. So start with the little things. And because I know this, this listener, um, it will be very easy for you to start with the little things. Go to a different grocery store, go to a different pedicure place, you know, take a different route to work. Just start changing things and you, you'll get less fearful of change. There was a question on post-traumatic stress um, and how does that factor into toxic relationships and how do you deal with that and how do you deal with the triggers? That I decided I'm not going to address because I, I really think I could get uh, um, address that better in a full episode. Um, so the lady that sent that in, I will be putting something together for that. I feel like I'm always on edge and irritable. I'm instantly annoyed and flying off the handle. It's keeping... It keeps making me feel guilty for acting the way that I act. Am I the problem? Okay. I just did a podcast on emotional abuse fatigue. This irritability question plays into emotional abuse fatigue. Your body can only ward off so much stress for so long. So when it's continually trying to walking on eggshells to try and keep everything perfect so that you're not in trouble and you're not scared and you know nobody's upset and everybody's accepting you and everything's fine your body can't continue to do that forever and so what happens is it starts being less able to handle stress and when it's less able to handle stress these episodes of flying off the handle like like this listener asked happens it has to do with your adrenal glands and when your body has to always combat stress it will stop doing the things that are less important to sustain enough energy to keep handling the stress. And living in a toxic environment is a very high stress situation on your body, even if it's normal to you. You know, because after you've been in it for five years, it's normal to you. It happens every day. It's, it's, a daily, it's a daily thing. So the stress level has to go up for you to feel like you're stressed, but your body will accommodate to that too. And then it goes... Your another stressor comes along and you feel more stressed and your body will accommodate to that too. But just because your body's accommodating does not mean that it is not warding off all this stress. So your temper, your tempers get short because you can no longer handle the high levels of stress. You used to be able to stuff it down and now all of a sudden you don't like people you used to like. You don't like doing the things you used to like to do. The five loads of laundry in, on Saturday morning, you'd rather throw them away than do them. It's too overwhelming. You used to, you felt like you used to could handle stress and now you can't handle it at all. That's because the stress response mechanism in your body is getting worn out. Um, my recommendation, adrenal, I mean, my recommendation is to listen to the adrenal fatigue episode. Uh, or there's one called adrenal fatigue 
Now there's one called the effects of chronic stress, which was done about a year ago. And then I just did one on emotional abuse fatigue, which is adrenal fatigue. Um, your body is meant to protect itself, but it can't, it can't protect us from everything forever without breaking down in other areas. So the flying off the handle and the change in your personality comes from the breakdown of the stress adaption mechanisms in your body. Um, okay, so that was the first list of questions. I hope that um, the people that sent those could will be able to listen to this episode. And I think that we'll be doing this a little more often because I think I'm able to stay more in touch with what you guys are needing if I can do this every so often. So if you do have questions or you have suggestions for a podcast, go ahead and you can get a hold of me. You can email me through the website. You can message me on Facebook. Um, you can message me through Instagram. Uh, you, can, you can send a carrier pigeon if you want to. Um, but I'll try my best to answer the questions and give you the information that you're, that you're needing. Conferences is, is about 10 days away. It starts on the 18th of September. A lot of this stuff will be talked about at the conference. It's a highly educational type um, event. So if you want any more information on the It's Not Normal, It's Toxic National Conference, uh, this is the third conference that we've done, and it is um, going to be held in St. Louis. But there's a conference page on the website at coachingwithdrheidi.com, and if you have any questions about that, just get a hold of me. Thank you for everybody who submitted questions. I hope the answers helped, and if you need a little bit more explanation, let me know. Thank you for listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. If your life is being affected by a toxic relationship, visit coachingwithdrheidi.com and take our free toxicity profile analysis or schedule a personalized consultation with Dr. Heidi. You can also follow us on Instagram at coachingwithdrheidi or join our private Facebook group at Strength Within. Take your first step to freedom today. And remember, it's not normal, it's toxic.